listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. So, before Ms. Brenda reads our text for today, uh, I'm excited to welcome officially. We've already done it electronically, but I, I like to be able to do it publicly to officially welcome our newest Oasis Church Covenant partners, Stephen Laurie Clevenger, Alyssa Connor, and Kim Morrill. So, I don't think... I don't think that name's been said publicly yet, has it? So, if you're going, what? Well, you better talk to somebody. That's all I got to say. So, Ms. Brenda, read our text for today. Good morning. Well, you got to be turned on too. Hold on. Push. There you go. You're green now. A newfangled thing. Good morning again. My name is Brenda O'Quinn. And I used to serve with the worship team when I didn't have to be helped up the steps. (laughs) Today I'll be reading Luke 23, 26 through 56. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people, and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. 
while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice, saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man is innocent. And all of the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decisions and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it with a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in a stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. This is the word of the Lord. I get you. Okay. I can do two things at one time. Okay. But that's all I can do, just two things. Isaac Watts penned the words. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present or an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Today we just want to survey the wonders cross. To soak it in. I'm not going to say anything that you've never heard before. But if we could just sit and allow the central event of all of human history to just wash over us just for a second. Certainly, we make much to do about the fact that in the crucifixion, the Lamb of God became for us According to Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, he became sin for us. According to Paul's letter to the Galatians, he became a curse for us. He became God's propitiation to satisfy his righteousness. 
His blood justifies us. You hear me say it all the time. That God the Son died in our place and for our sin. Today as we look at the cross, I want to invite you to see it from a little different angle. You see, Luke has made much to do about the fact that he is Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is the one who is king of the Jews. What we can't do is see the king of the Jews hindered from being who he's supposed to be. You can't see it that way. Because that's not at all what happened. In fact, Jesus was led to the place where his kingship would shine at its brightest. You see, if it weren't for the cross, then his enthronement would be only with the heavenly beings because there would be none of his creation of humanity to worship him. The cross, a vile expression of human depravity, yet at the very same time, the place on which the king won victory over all. So as you look at the cross today, yes, it will cause your heart, if you have a heart, to be broken. But allow that broken heart to also find solid footing in the fact that that piece of wood was the purpose for which the king came and the place on which he began to visibly reign. The king of the Jews is led to the cross where through suffering and death he will forevermore win the victory over sin, Satan, and the curse. This morning, let's look at the king that warns. Let's look at the king that prays. Let's hear the king who saves, and then let's watch as the king dies victorious in our place and for our sin. Verse 26 says, as they led him away. Prior to this verse, Jesus received as would everyone sentenced to die on a cross, a scourging from the Roman lictors who would take turns strapping his bare back and bare backside and bare back legs with the cat of nine tails, a leather whip with tips of lead and bone that would rip at the Savior. It's what would happen to everyone before going to the cross. And so Jesus as well, whipped brutally near death and then given likely the cross beam of the cross to carry himself. It would have been a part of the spectacle. The one sentenced to die with the cross would carry his cross to the place that he would be put to death. 
It, it was part of the shame. It was part of the humiliation. The Romans had perfected this capital punishment that they had gathered from other nations before them. The person would hold his cross or the cross beam and would carry it. But apparently Jesus, after the beating, was unable to carry his own cross under the weight. Or maybe he just was not able to move as fast as the Roman executioners wanted him to move. And so they pulled one, Luke says, this Simon from Cyrene. It's a, a province in northern Africa, a long way away. So likely this Simon was a part of a community that had found its place of residence in and around uh, Judea. Simon, coming in likely for the feast, was just pulled from the crowd and required to carry the cross for Jesus. I find it interesting that Mark identifies Simon as the father of Alexander and Rufus. Mark, of all four gospel writers, wrote the smallest of gospels. Why would he identify this Simon as the father of two individuals that we've never heard before? I think because Mark knew that folks reading these letters knew about Alexander and Rufus, very likely part of the faith, members of the body. It's this Simon, their daddy, that we're talking about. At random required to carry the cross. And as they go, Luke says that there were women following who were weeping and wailing. Now, no doubt, they certainly were sorrowful, for Jesus's predicament. But, but these were, were doing the, the normal activity, like those that were weeping at the graveside of Lazarus when Jesus shows up and, and interacts with Mary and Martha, his sisters, and, and they were weeping and wailing because that's just what you did when it came to a funeral procession. And certainly these ladies recognized that this man had done nothing. Maybe they were even a part of the crowd that were shouting and chanting as he came into the city just a few days earlier on the back of a donkey. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These women are walking behind doing what you do in a time of sadness. And they were over-enunciating their weeping and their wailing and Jesus, uh, Luke says Jesus turns to these ladies and says to them a warning. The king looks and speaks a warning to those who are mourning his suffering of an impending suffering yet to come of which they will be participants. Verse 28, he says, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourself and for your children. Because days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Why would they say this? This was a complete contrast to the, to the way that, that society worked. You see, if you didn't have children, you were considered somehow tainted as a woman in this society. Jesus says the days are coming when the opposite is going to be true. To not have children, to not have that responsibility when this crisis comes on you, you're going to be the ones that say, you're blessed that you don't have all of the responsibility I have 
What is this that Jesus is talking about? Certainly judgment to come. It seems very true that the judgment that Jesus was referring to is that that is going to befall the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel, in just a little over 40 years. In A.D. 70, the emperor is going to send Titus, his general, to overthrow and wipe out this population that has given him such heartache. And Jesus knew that that judgment of God for the rejection of the nation of their king was coming. And as Jesus is suffering, going to the place that he has prepared to go, he says, don't waste your time weeping for me. Weep for yourselves. See, Jesus knew his suffering was coming. Jesus knew his suffering had a purpose. Jesus knew the result of his suffering and whose hands he was in safely and securely. But as he looked at them, you need to pray for your nation because your nation is under impending judgment. Verse 30, these people will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. Jesus says, because if they're doing these things when the wood is green, who's the green wood? Jesus himself. Full of life and ability to give life. If they'll do this to the wood that is alive and bright and vibrant, what will they do to the dead wood that is my people? They're going to set it on fire and it's going to go up like kindling. So the king on his way to the place that, that all of society is going to see as his ultimate reflection of failure. Yet we know that he's going to the place, yes, of suffering. Yes, the place where sin mounts its, its, its uh, finest hour. But the place where the king will win the victory. Where he will be victorious forevermore he says weep for yourself because there's judgment coming then luke takes us to the place where jesus will be crucified verse 32 he says two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him When they came to the place that is called the skull, look, there they crucified him. And that's it. You see, Luke doesn't give us a play-by-play of the crucifixion. And Luke was qualified to do so. Luke, as a physician by trade, could have talked about how the crucifixion was accomplished in order to bring about the maximized agony, but he didn't do that. You see, Luke knows his readers are all too familiar with crucifixion because they live in the Roman world. And wherever the Romans were in in power, wherever you might go, you would have seen someone on a cross, humiliated, under the punishment and statement of there is one emperor and his name is Caesar and you go against him and this will be your fate as well. The people knew 
what crucifixion was. It was brutal. It was disgusting. It would would send chills down your spine, and that's exactly what Rome wanted it to do. So Luke just simply says, There they did to him what you've seen them do to so many others. But he tells us about these two criminals. And we don't know that this is the case. But it seems like that the Romans that are putting Jesus to death put him between these two other individuals on purpose. If you think back to last week, who did Pilate let go free at the request of the crowd? A gentleman by the name of Barabbas, which I didn't share this with you last week. But you realize his name simply means son of a father. Bar, son of Abbas, a father. Like you couldn't get any more no-named than Barabbas. John Doe, just any old person. Well, that's good. Because guess what you're allowed to do? Insert your name here. Who on the on, on behalf of what Christ is doing sets you free. It's very possible that the cross that Jesus is holding was the one prepared for Barabbas. It could very well be that these two guys on either side of him were the associates of that one who was the insurrectionist. The ones who are there. It's possible. Nevertheless, they were certainly in the jail with Barabbas as they hear him go free. And about this Jewish rabbi who's been going to be put to death by mob rule. Luke shares about these two criminals. They begin along with others to to rail and to to abuse and to, to make fun of. Who? The Savior, yes. But their king. And at the, at, the, at the very top of this humiliating ridicule, what does the king do? The king prays. Verse 34, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now the fact that Jesus is is saying they don't understand what they do. It doesn't mean that they were mindless robots who wouldn't remember the next day what they did earlier. No. What Jesus is saying is they are incredibly ignorant. They think they're doing a good thing. They think they're doing a noble thing. In reality, they have no idea that they are executing their Creator. They have no idea that they are executing the one who has words of life for them on their way to death. Father, when any one of us would have said, rain it down, bring the fiery brimstone, Father, They have no right. And in fact, it's probably where I find myself a lot when I read this passage. I'm thinking, why not? Because had he done that, 
it would have voided the reason for the cross. It would have nullified the reason he was there. And so with eyes of compassion, looking at the ones who had driven the nails, looking at the ones who were hurling insults, looking at the ones who had lied about him, looking at the ones who just didn't have anything better to do, but to come and watch this guy be humiliated in front of the entire city, bulging with extra people due to the Passover. He looks at them with eyes of compassion and the king prays, forgive them. Come down. Save yourself if you're able. That's the one thing you couldn't do. Not and leave hope for you and I. Could Jesus have come down from the cross? Sure he could have. Could Jesus have walked away unscathed? Absolutely. And you and I would be lost and bound to our sin. So the king remained. The king embraced the suffering that would bring about ultimate glory. The king embraced the suffering that would bring about yours and my salvation. And he prayed for the forgiveness of those that were doing the world's greatest evil. There was also an inscription above in verse 38 that inscribed and said, This is the King of the Jews. And you know what we need to say about that statement? Bingo. That's absolutely correct. The one lifted up on that tree is the king of the Jews. Not only does the king warn on his way to the cross, not only does the king pray as he is there on the cross, but the king saves. Watch this, verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Luke uses that word rebuke a lot. Most of the time he uses it of Jesus himself. When Jesus rebukes a sickness, when Jesus rebukes a false teaching, when Jesus rebukes a a demonic Uh, 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 a demonic presence and now this criminal being crucified beside the Lord rebukes his partner don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due rewards for our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what we see here in the words of this criminal? We see the way of salvation. We see the way someone walks by faith to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. What was the first step? 
The first step was this criminal exercised true fear of God. He recognized God and His judgment. He recognized that what the other criminal was doing was blasphemy. As he looks at him, he goes, Do you have no fear of God at all? Do you not realize that we are under His judgment now and certainly that judgment will continue? It's obvious that we are receiving from God His judgment. Do you not fear Him? The first step in the way of salvation is to recognize just exactly who God is. And God is not this kindly, bearded grandfather. He's certainly not Morgan Freeman, although I get But God is awesome. In fact... Apart from God, really nothing else is awesome. We use that word too much. God alone is awe-inspiring. Think about the prophet who walked in through the vision into the throne room of God and sees him high and lifted up. And he's looking for a place to hide. Because he recognized the majesty, the overwhelming glory, the power, the infiniteness of who God is. The children of Israel at the bottom of Mount Sinai heard the voice of God speak in the cloud with the fire and the thunder and all that went into his voice. They went, Moses, ask him, don't do that again. You, you, You talk to him. We we don't want to hear that again. You know why? Because God is the I am. The first step toward coming to faith in Jesus is to recognize just exactly who you're dealing with. The second step in recognizing who God is, the fear of the Lord, the Proverbs says is the beginning of wisdom. Once you recognize who God is, then you can truly see what you are. You see, the folks that, that, that you have to convince are a sinner are probably not ready to accept the salvation that God has to offer. Because where they're at right now is comparing themselves to others. They see themselves in the reflection of others that they consider well, a little worse than I am. Or maybe a lot worse than I am. Where, where do we normally go when, when we want to talk about wicked human beings? I mean, we go from like zero to Hitler in no time flat. You know why? Because Hitler, in a very bizarre and upside down way, makes us feel a lot better about ourselves. Because we know, well, we have not executed millions of people because we deemed them not truly human. So I feel a lot better about myself. The problem is God never called us to compare ourselves to one another. Well, maybe I haven't done all of the things that it's possible for me to do, but within me resides the heart of a Hitler. Because my heart is just as broken as his. Your heart is just as broken as a bin Laden. 
You see, we're all as bad off as we can be. And we recognize that when we see ourselves in the presence of who God is. When we come to the place where we submit ourselves to what God has said about himself in his word, there's no convincing that has to be done about your sin. You know it. You see it. You recognize it. It's not an argument. This criminal says, this man hasn't deserved anything. He's not done anything wrong. We're getting what we deserve. What we're receiving is what belongs to us because of who and what we are, but not this one. This one is innocent. This one is righteous. I recognize who God is. I recognize my own depravity and sin and inability to stand before Him in any measure of success. And then the third step in the way of salvation is just simply to embrace who Jesus is. Who does He embrace Him to be? He embraces Him to be Savior and King. He recognizes Him to be the Savior because He's asking Him to save Him. But at the very same time, He's saying, when you get into your kingdom, powerful faith. This one who is hanging on the cross beside of Jesus recognizes that if He was going to get down from the cross, He would have already done it. He's going to be there. He has embraced this place of execution. And I'm asking you to do something for me that I simply can't do. And that is address what I deserve for me as Savior. Jesus, when you enter your kingdom. See, he knew Jesus was going somewhere. Did he know he was going to be resurrected? I don't know. But he certainly was able to see far beyond the fact that you're going to die in a little bit, but you're still who you say you are. And when you get to the place that God has prepared for you to be, and that is as king of your kingdom, this is not stopping your kingdom. When you get into your kingdom, will you simply remember me? He was asking, is there any way I can get in? The only way to get in. The only way to be forgiven. The only way to have who and what you are be addressed is to fear who God is or recognize just exactly who and what you're dealing with. See your own sinfulness for what it is. But then recognize Jesus for who he is and what he's doing. And that's just arms out. That's just embracing him and allowing his arms to engulf you in return. Because what did Jesus do? Your mind won't allow you to envision it. Jim Caviezel might be the one who comes to your brain because of the passion of the Christ. But the broken, 
the, the, the torn, the ripped Savior turns to this one and looks at him and says, Truly. Truly. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. I guarantee it. The king declared his salvation. I can't imagine what suffering crucifixion must be like. I, I just can't even fathom it. Uh, I, you know, I, really, I don't, I don't want to take a, just a fist to the face, just to be right honest with you. I'm not lining up for that. I can't imagine the agony that all of those that were being crucified, and maybe there were more, we just see these three. I, I don't know what that's like, but I've just got to imagine that that criminal hearing those words from the Lord did something in him to give him hope in agony. Today, I'm not going to continue facing the eternal judgment of God that I deserve. Today, I'm going to be with him in paradise. Yes, a Greek Word that was taken from that, from that language and utilized, talking about that, that place of rest, that, that place of, of, of comfort. Today, after you suffer, you'll be with me because of my suffering and through your faith. You see, if you know Jesus as your Savior today, and, and, and listen, let me just tell you, not everyone who claims themselves to be a Christian are a Christian. You see, there's a lot of folks in our world that are simply those that are weeping and wailing and sorrowful for what happened to Jesus and respectful for what he did and could tell you the story and, 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 and might even say, yes, because I believe those things happened. Therefore, I'm a follower of Jesus. No. Following Jesus demands my soul, my life, my all. It involves believing faith. Who God is. What I am. And who Jesus will be for me if I embrace him. By faith. Believing. Trusting. Truly this one became a citizen of the kingdom. But then Luke tells us that. At about the sixth hour. Which would have been noon time. Dawn would have been right around 6 a.m. And then every hour from dawn is how they would clock it. So six hours from 6 a.m. would be about high noon. High noon is not when you want to be outside doing yard work, right? I mean, let's be honest. We don't want to be outside during the daytime doing yard work if we're honest. But you got to have light to see. And so you're trying to do it early in the morning when it's cool, late in the afternoon when it's cool, but you're probably going to get rained on. Noon is not when you want to be outside. Noon is when you drive by watching the guys put roofs on houses that you go, man, I'm glad I don't have that job. Roofs are, you, you, noon is when you see the people paving highways 
And you're like, man, that's not the time of day. At the time of day when the sun would have been right overhead, Luke said there was darkness. Now, I think if Luke had a meant that there was a heavy cloud cover and a storm came up, that he would have said that. But I think back to the book of Exodus, when at the word of God, through his servant Moses, the people in Egypt were expecting daylight to be just that, daylight. But what did they discover? Darkness. You see, it's, it's not just dusky. It's certainly not eclipse. I remember one author that said that, that that time of year, you wouldn't have an eclipse anyway because it was full moon season. You don't have these solar eclipses during the full moon season. What was happening? God was showing up. You see, those, those Sadducees, those teachers of the law, you remember when they looked at Jesus and said, perform a cosmic sign for us so that we'll be able to see and then we'll believe. Well, that's exactly what they got. Darkness. Can you imagine how afraid we would be if we were to walk out at the conclusion of the service and it be as dark as 11 p.m.? We, we would be... Right, we, we would forego going out to eat. In fact, you probably wouldn't hang around even to talk. You'd be getting home so that you could maybe get on, find out from the news what's happening because that would not be a norm. That would be incredibly unusual. And there they stood in darkness. Matthew says that there were earthquakes and resurrections from the dead Luke tells us that there was a a darkness from the noon hour the sixth all the way to the ninth hour 3 p.m. three hours of darkness there's earthquakes the other gospel writers saying that there are people getting up out of the tombs and going into the city Things are happening that have never happened before, at least in their lifetime. And the veil in the temple that separated the outer court from the Holy of Holies, where only the priests could go and only one time a year with the blood to pour on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement, Luke tells us was ripped. And Mark said, Matthew, I'm sorry, says from top to bottom. See, the... The God of heaven and earth showed up at this place of crucifixion and showed everybody watching just exactly how important this event was. Jesus crying out with a loud voice says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Coming to the end of his suffering, having done through obedience what he was called to do, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He looks to his father and says, I'm yours. He bows his head, he breathes 
his last. Verse 46. The centurion who is there watching couldn't leave his post, had to be there the entire time, says what everyone else watching should have said. And maybe we're beginning to believe. But he said of himself, surely what happened here was not a just thing. This man was innocent. The reality of the fact is, yes, he was. But this is not just a man. This is a God-man. He's not just the God-man. He's the King of kings who was raised high and lifted up. And when he is raised up, he'll draw all men to himself. He was raised up like the serpent in the wilderness for those who will look in belief and be cured of what is broken in them. He was lifted up in obedience so that you and me might be forgiven. He stayed on the cross when he could have come down so that you and I might have life. And as he hung there, he became victorious over all kingdoms, over all other authorities, over all demonic possession, oppression, and activity, over your sin and mine. The curse was defeated because he embraced it completely on the cross. That we survey and watch and let it soak in to us. When we survey the wondrous cross, we witness the central event of all human history. When we survey the wondrous cross, we witness the fulfillment of God's salvation promises. When we survey the wondrous cross, we witness the suffering servant, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, taking away the sin of the world. When we survey the wondrous cross, we witness the Messiah, the King of kings, victoriously lifted up over the subjects of His kingdom. When we survey the wondrous cross, we witness the defeat of Satan, sin, the curse, and death. When we survey the wondrous cross, we witness God's definitive answer to all of our brokenness. You feel broken? You go through times of, of feeling helpless and hopeless. The cross is the definitive answer from God. That addresses your brokenness. By His stripes, you are healed. You might not experience that healing to the level of your preference in this life. But because of His stripes, because of His death, and because of what we'll discuss next week, we know that our healing will come about. The criminal had to suffer just a little longer before he went to that place of comfort. The cross 
is the definitive answer to all of our brokenness. When we survey the wondrous cross, we witness the way of forgiveness and entrance into kingdom citizenship. When we survey the wondrous cross, we witness love so amazing, so divine. It demands my soul, my life, my all. See him there, high and lifted up, pouring himself out fully and completely, hanging on to nothing. Not his authority, not his divinity, not even his dignity. Suffering and dying in our place for our sin as King of kings and Lord of lords. If you've never recognized who God is, just be honest. He'll show you. You know in your heart. If you've never been honest about what you are as a sinner, then just spend a little time fearing Him. You'll get there. And then when you recognize there is no other answer for you, then look to the cross. For that's where you'll find your Savior and your King. Ready to declare your forgiveness. If by faith you'll only believe. Turning to Him. Laying my yes down with Jesus. My soul, my life, my all. Let's stand together.